0: I'm John Moorhead, and this is the Multi-Faith Matters podcast, and I'm privileged to, to host this, and today my special guest coming all the way from Bethlehem, from Palestine, is uh, Munther Isaac, and uh, he has a PhD from the Oxford Center for Mission Studies, a great place to study. He is the Academic Dean of Bethlehem Bible College in Palestine and Director of the Christ at the Checkpoint Conference. He is also Pastor of uh, Christmas Evangelical Lutheran Church in Bethlehem. And he is the author of From Land to Land, From Eden to the Rescued Earth, A Christ-Centered Biblical Theology of the Promised Land. And another book that I'm holding in my hands right now, The, uh, the Other Side of the Wall, A Palestinian Christian Narrative of Lament and Hope. So I'm excited to talk about this subject. Welcome to the, pa- uh, to the podcast, Pastor.
1: Thank you, John. Thank you for having me. And uh, uh, it's my uh, joy to be with you and share with you. Uh, all the way from Bethlehem. And uh, usually in the American context, I have to explain this is the real Bethlehem, not the one in Pennsylvania. So
0: that, <laughs> That's right. You know, That's we, right. We get
1: on the right track.
0: Well, we have very limited time and a lot to discuss, and we won't be able to do this uh, topic complete justice, but we'll we'll get as much as we can there. First of all, I, I really enjoyed uh, the book, The Other Side of the Wall, uh, particularly just coming out of the most recent Palestinian-Israeli uh, clash and conflict. And can you, I th- you have bring a voice and a perspective that American Christians in particular desperately need to hear? Can you share a little bit about the experience of a, a Palestinian Christian and how that informs your perspective in this book? Yeah, thank you. Um, basically, I mean,
1: one of the most important reasons I, I wrote the book is uh, uh, the fact that for many Western readers, they are not aware of the fact that we as Palestinian Christians actually exist. And whenever the Palestinian Israeli issue comes uh, in the news or they hear about it, they simply assume it's a conflict between uh, uh, two peoples, even two religions, Muslims uh, and Jews. Uh, And uh, we feel uh, not just lost in that equation, but we feel that uh, this misrepresents what's actually happening uh, on the ground. So part of the rationale why I wrote this book is to present a a Palestinian perspective uh, that is also informed by my faith as a Christian and help my readers realize that Palestinian Christians have been part of the history of the very rich history of this land for 2000 years. This is where Christianity began and that there is a different or another dimension to the situation that many uh, usually, especially uh, evangelical Christians are not aware of, and that's what I try to explain. Partially, of course, because of my evangelical upbringing. I teach at, at, a, at a Bible college that has a, an evangelical DNA. And uh, part of my experience there is engaging with uh, visitors to our land who show uh, almost no familiarity with, with the political reality yet hold very strong theological positions that shape the way in many ways the government acts the american government and others and hold theological positions that impact uh, our daily lives so the book is really the result and the outcome of many conversations on the ground uh, that you know tried uh, to explain the reality to our friends the visitors but also uh, to my own struggle as a Palestinian who wants to make sense, not just of the reality, but of my faith in the God of the Bible, especially that the Bible was brought into this conflict and is part of the conflict because uh, Israel and many of its supporters, especially the Christian supporters, use the Bible to justify Israel's claim to the land. Uh, And uh, in my case, That's my land and my ancestors' land. And I'm not speaking in a metaphorical way or in a general way. I'm talking about, you know, property that we owned for generations. Now, all of a sudden, someone else claims it based on a certain way of interpreting scripture, the scripture that we use in our worship and liturgy every Sunday, and we read every day in our relationship with God. So trying to make sense of all of that and trying to read the Bible with the question, Did God really say this? Did he promise my land to someone else? Where is the gospel, the good news in all of this? Does God discriminate based on race, on ethnicity, on religion? So all of that is part of why I I wrote the book. And it explains my journey throughout the years of, uh, on the one hand, engaging with the many visitors, but on the other hand, also trying to make sense for my own benefit of what is God's message to me. Uh, as a follower of Christ before anything uh, in this land.
0: I I want to discuss a little bit of the theology and get a response to some evangelical and other Christian assumptions. But before we do that, uh, I I want folks to understand the experience uh, a little bit about what's going on there. Uh, In my research in the the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, there has been a process of dehumanization that often takes place Uh, on both sides. But I wanna hear about the dehumanization and the prejudice a little bit that that you have experienced as a Palestinian Christian, maybe even within uh, and from uh, American and and other evangelical churches.
1: Um, Yeah, thank you. Um, I think that dehumanization begins when many folks speak about our land as if it's empty. Uh, If you think of the language that is very common in most evangelical churches about Jews returning to their land, just think of that for a moment. And what does that mean to me as a Palestinian? Because that immediately puts me in someone else's, as if I took someone else's land uh, just because I was born here and my ancestors were born here. Uh, Many theology books and theology conferences Uh, celebrate the creation of the state of Israel as a sign of God's faithfulness to the Jewish people and in the process, ignore our presence. Because what does that mean to us? Because uh, again, when Israel was created as a state in 1948, something had to give, and and that was the Palestinians. We lost our land. We literally lost our homes. Uh, More than 500 villages were destroyed, creating a huge crisis of Uh, refugees, more than seven to eight hundred thousand Palestinian refugees, among them many Christians. All of that was our experience. Yet nobody talks about this. And they celebrate what happened because of their focus on one side. So the dehumanization begins with the uh, assumption of an empty land, a land without people, yet the land had people. But in the plan and in the interpretation and in the uh, agenda and so on, these people don't matter, and that's where it all starts. But then it also continues today with ignoring our reality. Uh, John, I I am 42 years old, and all my life I've lived under an Israeli military occupation, an occupation that controls every aspect of my life, where I can live, whom I, you know, uh, if I can unify with with my uh, uh, relatives. I have an uncle and an aunt who live in Arab countries that they cannot even come and visit us. Uh, An occupation that controls the entrances of our cities. I have to go through checkpoints whenever I want to visit my in-law in another Palestinian city in Ramallah. Uh, They control our ID cards. They control the airports. They control the air. Even if Palestinians want to have uh, the right you know the palestinian phone companies for 3g and so on israel controls that we cannot dig for water in our land uh, unless israel permits us Uh, more than 75 percent of the land uh, is classified under oslo agreements as area c areas where we as palestinians cannot even build and that's the vast majority of the west bank which is only 22% of historical uh, Palestine, which is now called Palestine and Israel. So we're restricted in our movement. We're limited where we can live. There is a wall that suffocates our life and surrounds our cities, checkpoints and the humiliation, oftentimes on checkpoints, even sometimes the incidents of death at the checkpoints where Palestinians are killed. That's part of our daily reality, but that's seldom talked about uh, in the narrative of Christians, or the mainstream media, uh, again, and it's not as if they don't talk about the situation at all because Israel is always in the news. Uh, uh, The call to support the Jewish people and to support Israel in the news and uh, very little is said about the basic human rights, God-given human rights of the Palestinians. Uh, uh, You you know, uh, I, I often tell evangelical friends, if you believe God gave the land, to the Jewish people as an eternal position? And that's your conviction. God bless you. But what should I do then as as a Palestinian who lives in this land? Should I leave? Should I simply accept to live as a second-class citizen in my homeland, as in the people of Nazareth, for example? Uh, Or should I just uh, accept to live under a military occupation that controls me? Uh, Do you accept the dehumanizing that takes place uh, uh, on on Palestinians on a daily basis? on a daily basis. And then an extra step of the dehumanization is when we are, uh, I use the word demonized, called terrorists, called all sorts of things, simply because we want to live in dignity in our land, simply because we uh, object to the policies of the state of Israel that uh, uh, imposes this oppressive regime uh, on us. We're called uh, the terrorists, the evil ones, the anti-Semites and so on. Uh, calling and, and giving names on people is a way of silencing any criticism and shutting every conversation, and we've been through that, uh, and if you read the book, you see that even as churches, we've been through that, even as Palestinian Christian leaders, where uh, sometimes uh, invitations for us to speak in conferences are withdrawn, and there's pressure to silence us uh, because we're, simply because we're Palestinians. So that's part of of, of the the reality that, you know, we find ourselves in simply because we're Palestinians. Um,
0: um, Yeah. Well, you did your uh, PhD uh, dissertation on this whole issue of the Holy Land, and you've got a book on it. And I'm still waiting to get that and to, to digest that. We can't do it justice in a brief conversation. But I wonder if you could say a few things in response to some of the theological assumptions that many uh, Christians have as, as you mentioned previously about Israel having a right to the land and therefore Palestinians simply have to leave. What would your response be theologically from scripture?
1: Yeah, well I would take uh, that will take me three to 4 hours <laughs> total yes. back having written a lot about this. Uh, but I would I would simply for uh the sake of our conversation uh, begin by an assertion and then raise certain questions and then a challenge. Uh, The assertion is that, to me, you don't need a PhD in Oxford or anywhere to figure out that the land belongs to God. Every land belongs to God. And no one can claim any possession of the land. To me, that's very clear in the Bible. Uh, God declared in uh, Leviticus 25 that the land is mine. Uh, And so whatever we do with the land, we never become the owners of, of the land. That applies to any land. And I think that's a major ethical and moral principles in Scripture. Uh, But to to push the the discussion uh, about that, uh, you know, uh, I raise certain questions. For example, uh, were the land promises uh, uh, given in a vacuum or were they part of the covenant? And it's clear that they were, the land is always covenanted, part of a covenant. uh, And and, uh, enjoying the blessings of the land has always been conditional to uh, being in the right relationship of God. Uh, and among the conditions, God says, in for example, in Deuteronomy 16, 20, justice is, is instrumental to keeping the land. Justice and only justice you shall follow that the Lord God will give you, uh, that you will enjoy the land that the Lord God, that you will inherit the land that the Lord God is giving you. Uh, Leviticus also, I think, 18, makes it very clear that the land will vomit out the people who do not behave in ways that please God. It's the land that vomits out the people just as it vomited the people who were in the land before the Israelites. So we cannot ignore these elements in the promises of the land. Uh, Another question I always raise is, what was the promised land? We simply assume it's historical Palestine and Israel or historical Palestine, but uh, parts of Jordan were part of the promised land. Uh, Egypt, you know, from the river to the river. Why is nobody claiming this whole region as... uh, you know, belonging to the Jewish people, especially those who want to be uh, consistent in their literal reading of scripture. But this shows you that there is something more than that. And and in my book, I argue that this is part of God's universal uh, plan to redeem all of creation, just as Abraham was the father of many nations so that every land will be blessed and every nation will be blessed through the, the, the seed of Abraham. Uh, The land is supposed to be more than simply a small real estate in Palestine or in the the ancient Near East. So that's something uh, we discuss a lot. Uh, Another important question is, who benefits from these promises of the land? Because it's clear that it's for Abraham and his offspring. And I think a very important discussion or question to ask is, who is Abraham's offspring? Is it by ethnicity? Is it by DNA? And again, scripture is clear that it's a matter of faith and divine election. Uh Ishmael and Esau were both physical descendants of Abraham, but did not receive the promises. And Paul speaks about that. He says, not everybody from the flesh is is, is an is an heir. Uh, and similarly, someone like Ruth, a Moabite, because of her faith, was brought into uh the family, the seed, and that's, I think, what also Paul speaks about in Romans 11, about being grafted into the olive tree, and then in the New Testament, it's also clear that it's a matter of who is incorporated into Christ, that becomes, you know, Galatians 3.16 first claims that Abraham has one offspring, and that is Christ, and nobody can claim anything beyond that, it's not offsprings as if in the plural, And I think that raises serious questions about the theology of Christian Zionism. And then it says, uh, if you are into Christ, if you are baptized into Christ, you are Abraham's children. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile because these differences do not uh, apply uh, male or female, free or slave, uh, but you're all one in Christ, heirs according to the promise. And I ask, what do I inherit? if Paul calls me an heir according to the promise. And there is no such thing as a spiritual promise that I inherit and a physical promise that uh, the Jew inherits as some try to to convince us because Paul calls us co-heirs in in I think uh, Ephesians 3 or Ephesians 2. Um, And it's it's one thing, John, if a Jewish person uses the Abrahamic promises to claim uh, a right to the land, It's another if a Christian does this and ignoring these promises in in Galatians. And I always say, you know, Jews have the right to interpret their own scriptures as they see fitting. I I don't want to impose my reading on on my Jewish neighbors, uh, but I have a problem when Christians ignore statements like the ones in Galatians 3, uh, 16. Uh, But more importantly, I think, we should always discuss questions related to justice because central to the theology of the land is the question of justice. Uh, Justice matters to God more than, and and, uh, one of the most fascinating uh, elements I find in uh, scripture, and again, this is something that's very ignored, is the inclusive nature that we find when the land is discussed in scripture. Uh, Ezekiel 48 speaks about the land in the Eschaton in the, in, the, in the days to come and tells the Israelites to precisely or specifically that they shall allot to the strangers who live with them land, they shall be to you as the native born. You should, there should be no difference because God is the God of all, uh, which is a stark contradiction to the current uh, uh, infamous nation state law that the state of Israel applied, which discriminates between Jews and non-Jews I mean, even the Hebrew scripture commands against that. Isaiah 56 speaks about those who bring themselves to the Lord, they shall receive uh, an allotment even more than the native one. It's, it's amazing these, these promises and the issue of justice. And I always say, um, if we are going to solve a conflict where literally people are dying, losing their rights, humiliated, uh, uh, oppressed, based on an interpretation on who receives the Abrahamic promises today and who replaces who I think war to us, we're, we're, we're in problem. Uh, and that's why I say, as much as I enjoy talking about the land and arguing for my theology of the land, at the end of the day, you know, we have Palestinians and Israelis who find themselves in this land uh, in, in, in not in a very good, you know, uh, in, in a warlike situation where one people, and our solution has to be, can we find ways to live together? Can we apply the principles I argue that we find, for example, uh, the teachings of Jesus about uh, the kingdom of the God, the Sermon on the mountain. That's what Christians should be involved with, rather than trying to argue who receives the Abrahamic promises today and who doesn't. I, I think we are missing the point Exactly, when we engage in these discussions, thinking that this solves the question. You know, uh, I, at the end of the day, people are dying, and we Christians are arguing about Romans 11. Uh, in a time when we should be arguing, how can we stop this killing and how can we help Palestinians and Israelis uh, get together?
0: It's a point well taken, and I will include uh, links to your books uh, so that folks can research this and read through more deeply. I'd like to end our conversation on a positive note. Uh, can you talk about your work with Christ at the Checkpoint, that conference, and uh, any other positive suggestions you might have about how we can be better neighbors and come alongside to seek justice for Palestinians and Israelis in the land?
1: Yeah, so For those who don't know, Christ at the Checkpoint is a uh, conference uh, slash movement that came out of the Bethlehem Bible College. Uh, We try to invite Christians from around the world, particularly evangelicals, to say, let's have a conversation about theology, but let's have it at the Checkpoint. In other words, let's see how it impacts the daily situation of Palestinians, but also uh, of Israelis. Uh, what we want to say is get informed, be informed and listen to voices on the ground. And then also let's combine this with our theological discussions. So Christ at the Checkpoint is our attempt to have a conversation between our faith and reality. Uh, and it's also an invitation to evangelicals to discuss issues like theology of the land, uh, interpretation of prophecy, uh, um, election and so on. But we always say, let's see how these impact life on the ground. But more importantly, we discuss issues like peacemaking, like justice, like reconciliation. Uh, And uh, the uniqueness of Christ at the Checkpoint is that it it always tries to bring multiple perspectives in dialogue. Um, We highlight and emphasize the Palestinian Christian voice because we feel it's not heard enough. But at the same time, we even invite sometimes Christian Zionists uh, we introduce uh, our friends to uh, Jewish voices that work for peace uh, as well, uh, to Muslim voices at certain equations that work for peace and to say, look what's happening on the ground. People who are very serious about bringing peace, while evangelicals and, and sorry to be very blunt and uh, we're still debating time theology and predicting things and selling books on uh, the end times and uh, what will happen, rapture and this country will attack this country. And we say this is not what the kingdom of God is about. So over the years, we invited hundreds of people, uh, every every conference, we've had wonderful discussions. Uh, we've seen people change. And one of the things we always emphasize, we don't want you to leave, you know, supporting Palestinians and uh, hating Israelis or, because at the end of the day, our vision remains that of a shared land. That's something we always emphasize. We want to live peace and peace with the Israelis. Uh, Our calls to end the occupation, to challenge the uh, uh, oppressive uh, uh, regimes of the state of Israel are by no means a rejection of Jews living in this land. It's more of trying to create a a better reality for both uh, peoples while realizing that right now it's the Palestinians who are Uh, oppressed and live in a reality of injustice. So uh, that's what Christ at the Checkpoint tries to do. And honestly, John, with uh, uh, the last five years have shown us that the evangelical camp, especially in the United States, actually has power. And it is our uh, strong opinion that this power was used uh, not to advance the cause of peace, but rather to advance the current status quo, which is Uh, uh, allowing for the oppression of Palestinians. Uh, And I always say, I hope and pray to see this this energy uh, that we have as as evangelicals channeled in the right direction towards uh, peacemaking. So yes, we're troubled by evangelical theology, but we have not given up and we will continue to reach out to all Christians, uh, including evangelicals. And that's what Christ at the Checkpoint attempts to do.
0: Well, I appreciate all of that, and you carving out uh, time out of a, a very busy schedule. I know you've got some family time coming up, so uh, I will encourage folks to to look in the program description and notes and click on the links, and uh, visit not only the conference, but uh, the books that you have available, and uh, my hope is that this conversation will uh, provide a resource for uh, American evangelicals and other Christians to to think differently about the issues, and to get involved so that we don't we don't just think about it when there's another israeli palestinian conflict and rockets are are, fi- are being shot off and drones are are being used. but it's something that we can work towards peace keep uh, peacemaking all the time. So uh, Reverend Isaac, I, I just appreciate your time in, in this. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, I'm John Warhead. Again, I'm the uh, host of the Multifaith Minders uh, podcast. Uh, Please seek out uh, the the resources there and and look more deeply into this. This is a, a topic that we evangelicals, particularly in America, we do have a strong voice, and may we use that for peace. Again, on behalf of my guest, thank you for watching and listening until the next edition of the podcast.